0: geeks. Seriously Buddhist, Seriously Geeky. Episode 113, The Power of Samadhi.
1: Richard Shankman, meditation teacher and author, joins us to discuss what in the Theravadan tradition is called Samadhi. This is part one of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate.
0: Hi Buddhist Geeks, this is Vince Horn. I am here on the telephone today with Mr. Richard Schenkman. He is a Buddhist meditation teacher in the insight meditation tradition. He teaches in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's also the author of the newly released book out of Shambhala publications called The Experience of Samadhi, an in-depth exploration of Buddhist meditation. So before we get into that, Richard, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your own personal background with what in the Pali is called Samadhi. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your own practice history with this particular form of meditation.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do that, and and I want to thank you for interviewing me, and it's nice to chat with you about this. I started meditation practice in 1970, and I was not in the Buddhist world. I was in the, I guess you'd say, Hindu-oriented yoga world. I lived in a yoga ashram here in this country for uh, a couple of years. It was a concentration oriented uh... meditation practice that we were doing and so i could name a few of the teachers i worked with but i doubt they would be of uh... well-known or of interest to people in the buddhist community and at least one of them is not even around anymore but anyway the practices we did then were of course there was yoga so there was hatha yoga but the emphasis was on meditation practice and it was all concentration practice we did a lot of mantra Heavy emphasis on breath meditation, actually combining mantra and breath meditation was very powerful. And people were doing other kind of practices, things like gazing at candle flames and things like that. But that was the emphasis in my early practice. I'm using the English word concentration for samadhi. I hope we can talk about that a little more in a bit, but they weren't labeling it specifically as concentration meditation practices. It was just what you did, but as I look back on it and map it onto Buddhist practices, it would be similar to pure concentration practices. So that's how I got my start, and I transitioned into the Buddhist world into the mid to late 1970s, and this samadhi concentration is is so important in, in any style of meditation practice so that that early foundation just carried through naturally into my uh, buddhist practice which has been vipassana insight meditation
0: since you've been in the buddhist tradition have you continued to explore samadhi i'm guessing you've probably worked with it on an, in different ways is that true
1: a little bit yes so i've been exposed as many of us have you know if we stick around the dharma scene long enough you meet a range of teachers. You can hear their teachings and also try out different practices, although I have to say my main practice has been breath meditation since 1970, so almost 39 years. Uh, That really is the essence of my practice. Now, there's a lot we can say about breath meditation. Uh, It's a lot more than just the breath. Obviously, it opens up into everything else, but certainly, i've stayed with the breath meditation and it's as a core but of course you get influenced by other teachers so you can do things like different kind of visualizations or mantras or nimitta practices and things but it seems to always come back to breath meditation for me mm. gotcha. but i guess in that sense i've been exposed to a lot but I've tended to stay with one practice all this time gotcha in the same way i've had a little exposure to some soto zen and a, a little bit of vajrayana practices uh, not a lot But then I've always come back to my vipassana, you know, Theravada-oriented practices.
0: And that kind of leads nicely into the book and the notion of samadhi. And I was wondering, as you mentioned before, you could say a little bit more about that, and you're using the word concentration as a translation. I was wondering, yeah, if you could say a little bit about just the basics of what samadhi is.
1: Yes. The word concentration, I don't think, is the best English word, although... I'm going to continue to use the word concentration, and I think just because it's what we all use. But the real meaning is more accurately undistractedness. It's the quality of a mind that's settled and not distracted. And that's a better understanding of the word because there's a few different ways, and it's imp- very important to understand the different connotations or the different ways in which the word samadhi is understood. The word concentration can have the meaning of focus concentrated on a a narrow concentration so for example if you're using breath for example or anything you can get so concentrated that your the mind won't wander from that single pointed object of your meditation and can get more and more narrowly focused and i call that an exclusive kind of concentration because it ultimately can get so strong that it excludes all other experiences the mind cannot wander nothing else can happen you're just completely one pointed on an object so that's kind of a narrow one-pointed kind of focus and concentration can have that aspect because people think of it as we're concentrated on something however if we think of samadhi as being undistracted there's a second very different sense of the word samadhi and rather than the mind becoming so concentrated on a single point in which the experience of all other changing, um, other changing experiences is lost, the mind itself comes to a stop, but it's still aware of a wide range of changing experiences around the, whatever the meditation object is. So breath meditation, for example, I call this an inclusive kind of samadhi. Still working with, say, the breath, get more and more still- more, you are kind of focused in on the breath, but then the mind is also opened up to everything else from a deep place of stillness and undistractedness. Those are two very different types of samadhi. They're not different in terms of strength, but different types of samadhi. And these two different understandings, where one is very narrow and one is very broad and open, it's kind of like an open, choiceless awareness out of a deep stillness, those get confused a lot and get mixed up in people's minds when they talk about samadhi. And it's important to be clear about those two when we're making choices and how we're meditating. They're completely different.
0: Gotcha. And and are these two, is this what in the Pali they'd call momentary concentration versus the more exclusive type of Um, concentration? Or is this a different distinction?
1: We're bringing in something else there. Yeah. Um, So we can get into that in in a bit. I think we should talk about these different... That's something different, Okay. Actually. I think it'll be important to talk about that.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to understand the difference between what you're calling like the exclusive concentration, which is so you're so into an object that you literally aren't aware of other things around it, and then this right. other one that seems like you're saying it's as strong, but it's more inclusive of yes. other things that are happening.
1: Right. Interesting. Maybe here's another way I can say it. I'm going to talk about the mind, but I have to preface it by saying I'm using the word... I'm being a little sloppy or loose because I don't know what the mind is, and people use the word mind in a lot of different ways. So I just want to say that ahead of time, I'm going to use the word mind, and I'm being sloppy about it. This one-pointed, narrow concentration is, as I said, changing experience stops because you're so one-pointed and fixed on one point. In the other one, uh, this in this open, spacious type of samadhi, it's not. It's not the the flow of experience that stops. The mind itself stops, but the flow of experience continues. It's two different kinds of stopping, if you will. Does that give a sense of it? Yeah,
0: yeah, it does. Thank you.
1: Remember, we're also talking about experiences that sometimes are... We're trying to use words, and they're not going to match up exactly with experience, so we're trying to point to the experience. Sometimes it's a little hard to get at it with the words.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: we're also talking about... When we talk about coming to a a real stop, whether it's a narrow one-pointed or it's an open, you know, the mind-stopping, we're talking about the culmination of the practice. There's many gradations along the way, but we're just saying it can get to this point. In other words, many people in their meditation have started to have experiences where the mind become ever more and more focused on a point and less aware of external experiences, although it may not be completely shut out. So there's a range here, that's kind of the culmination.
0: I see. So that's not the end point, but that's the fruition of a lot of effort and gradual stuff that happens right. on the way to that.
1: I right. See. And how that unfolds is going to vary for everyone. That's mm. the reason why there's not one set of one-size-fits-all meditation instructions because it's going to open up in different ways for people. And how long it or how quickly it unfolds is going to vary for each person, too which is why we want to be careful not to get into a lot of over-striving in our practice. You know, we don't want to get into a sense that says, I've got to get samadhi. Oh yeah, that's for me. Boy, that's what I want. And then we set up a real suffering (laughs) in this path that's leading us to an end of suffering, so we want to be careful about that.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. I I remember doing a jhana retreat several years back and having that kind of striving attitude, and at the end I felt like a complete zombie. (laughs) And I was totally tight and yeah, it was really painful like like you're describing there. So I can I, I can relate to that.
1: <laughs> many of us can relate to that. I mean, I've had I was on a very long retreat, a one-year long retreat and I had had experiences of jhana, which I assume we'll talk about later. I've had experiences of jhana and gotten into it on retreats maybe after about oh, I'd say maybe 5 weeks and I could get into jhana. So I went on this long retreat and I thought, "Well, this is going to be great." Five weeks, I'm going to be in Jhana. I mean, you know, this, it was such a deluded mind. You'd think I would know better, but I fell into a trap. Okay, five weeks, I'm going to be into Jhana. And then after that, I've got this whole time and it's going to be opening up into these insights. I had planned out the whole retreat. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, I was two or three months in, no Jhana. And I'm suffering. What's going on? This is my big year long retreat. And I went to the teacher, you know, crying and complaining. And the teacher kindly said to me, well, you know, the, the deeper levels of wisdom and insight come not from any one particular meditative experience or meditative state, but it's more non-clinging to whatever experience you are having. And I said something back like, well, you know, of course that's true, but in order to deeply realize that truth, i got to get whatever. And I proceeded <laughs> to, to suffer for several months. And, you know, everything happens in its own time. So eventually it all opened up just fine. But once I was able to relax and let go and stop overstressing about things.
0: You're mentioning this term jhana. I, yeah, I was wondering if we could talk about what jhana is. And I'm guessing the way you're using it in terms of taking five weeks to get there, this is probably like a deeper kind of experience of jhana also. Yeah.
1: Well, jhana is understood in a lot of different ways. There's not just one way that people teach jhana. In order to understand jhana, it's important to understand, if this is one of the things I talk about in my book, that in the source texts, there's a few different kind of texts, and they lay out actually very different paths. And whether people realize it or not, and this is true for students and teachers too, whether people realize it or not, in the theravada influenced traditions that come out of the pali language traditions there are certain source texts from which all these teachings come and there's really two main groups if you will there's the original what are called the pali suttas suttas the sanskrit sutra that many people will have heard of the pali language sutta and those are the teachings and discourses attributed to the buddha um, and then there was a in addition to that, there was a whole body of commentarial literature that was created in the centuries after the Buddha died, and there's really one very important text called the Vasudi Magas with a v Vasudhi Magga and people don't have to remember that, but what's important about it is it's very, very influential in Theravada Buddhism to the point where for many, many Theravada Buddhists, the entire understanding of what's in the suttas is filtered through the vasudhimagga So and the vasudhimagga I think, was written maybe 900 years after the Buddha died. I guess the reason to mention a little bit of history like that is there's a lot, a lot of disagreement and controversy out there. Some people think that the only way to understand what's taught in those original Pali suttas is as filtered through the Vasudhimaga, or, or else you just can't understand the suttas. And then there's other people, such as myself, who say, and it's not just me, I mean, there's many great scholars and masters who would agree also that that's not true, and that they're actually two completely different systems, that the Vasudhimaga and the Pali suttas are just two different things. And I certainly am not saying there's any right or wrong, or better or worse out there, I think people have practiced in all these different styles, but I think what's important is, is just being aware of the of the differences. That's really what I spent a lot of this book about, trying to clear up the different ways that Samadhi and Jhana are taught. And then we can see what fits for each of us best. And we, we're not all going to do the same kind of practices. Anyway, the, 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 these two main bodies of work, this Vasudhimag and this Pali Suttas, are different, I'm saying. and. The Vasudhi Maga, it turns out, is in the insight meditation scene in America and probably in the West in general, it's highly influenced by the Vasudhi Maga. In fact, when people like Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, and others first came back from Asia and started teaching, they founded the Insight Meditation Society, they had studied and practiced with a number of different teachers but the style of practice they actually started teaching in was heavily influenced by one great Burmese master named Mahasi Sayadaw, straight out of the Vasudhi And so what the Vasudhi does is it actually divides meditation practice into two separate paths. It's, one of them is called the Path of Tranquility, or Calm, in, in Pali at Samatha. And the other path is Vipassana, insight. That's what we all know as Vipassana meditation. Two separate paths, and it's very clear and explicit about this. In the path of tranquility or calm, you cultivate and attain these special meditation states that we're going to discuss in a bit called jhana, and it defines them very specifically, defines jhana very clearly, and then after you have jhana, you come out of jhana And then you do this other kind of practice called Insight Meditation, Vipassana. And I realize I haven't gotten into details of that yet, but that's the basic division it makes. That's the path of tranquility. In the path of Vipassana, Insight, you never try to attain jhana at all, and you just go directly to Insight Meditation practices. And that, in fact, is the style of practice if you were to sit or retreat at a place like Spirit Rock Meditation Center or IMS in Barrie, Massachusetts. That's the style. They're not particularly focusing on jhana. They go directly to working with, say, for example, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness or whatever, and you know you want to have a certain amount of concentration, but they don't talk about jhana and everything.
0: Right, and I've heard some of those teachers refer to that as the kind of dry insight
1: path. Right, and so in the Vasudhima, it's called dry insight if you do not get jhana, And it's not derogatory, like we sometimes might use the word dry. It simply means that it's not wetted by the moisture of jhana. Mm -hmm. And so that's these two paths, and it's just a question of what... And so in the Vasudhimaga, you don't have to have jhana, it's just depending on which of these two paths you go on. In the Pali Suttas, it never... Divides meditation into two distinct paths like that. It's just not. It's not in there. Even though concentration and mindfulness and insight are not the same thing, they're all just kind of one kind of practice. Um, so that's that's one important distinction between these two. And so this term, momentary concentration, that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that term is not found in the Pali Suttas anywhere, it's only in the Vasudhi Maga. and it, what it means is is that you have enough concentration that you can stay moment to moment with the changing flow of experience, but you don't get into that one-pointed concentration. See, when you go to jhana in the Vasudhi Maga, it's a state characterized by a number of factors, but one of the important factors in the Sudhimagha jhana is, is that you have that, remember earlier we were talking about samadhi that could become, I called it exclusive, mm-hmm. you focused on a single point, it gets really narrowly focused. That's the Sudhimagha jhana, and it is, um, y- y- matter of fact, they're very, ex- they're very clear in the Sudhimagha, in that jhana. You, you c- if you go into the first jhana in the Sudhimagha, you cannot feel your body anymore. The mm-hmm. body's gone out of your awareness. Matter of fact, all changing experience has been lost because you're absorbed, you're kind of just totally engrossed in, if you will, just whatever the experience is. So if it's pure bliss, there's nothing but bliss, and you're just not seeing the changing you know body, mind, and all changing experiences. so you can't you cannot do insight practice. that's why you have to come out of jhana mm,
0: it's so deep and
1: then shift to this other kind of practice called Vipassana as a separate kind of practice because if you're in jhana you've lost change and you can't have insight
0: right because things are so solid it sounds like
1: right right and so that's why necessarily the maga had to separate these into two paths and that's the exact reason why if you go to most places at least in this country and probably in the whole West, I would think, in the insight scene, the way they'll commonly talk about is is they'll say, We're doing, you know, if you're doing concentration practices, they'll say, okay, that's great, but just keep in mind you're doing a different kind of practice than insight. And they will separate concentration and insight.
0: Yeah, that distinction's pretty common, yeah.
1: Right. And what tends to happen is people equate mindfulness with insight, and then concentration is something else. That's all the Sudhimaga in these two paths suttas don't do that. Suttas don't equate mindfulness with insight. What the suttas do is mindfulness is the practice that leads to right samadhi, right samadhi of the Eightfold Path, which culminates in jhana, but it's the other kind of jhana, it's the jhana in which you don't have one pointed exclusive, but you have an open, inclusive awareness where the mind has stopped, not the flow of experience. And through that still, settled, undistracted mind, the flow of experiences—it actually your awareness of it—is enhanced tremendously. And because of that, uh, you don't come out of jhana to do insight. It's like the, the, the insight can happen right within the state of jhana. It's not that you have to gain jhana, but you head in that direction. You just get wherever you get, and you don't want to make the struggle out of it. <laughs>